This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. More information is on our website. This Sunday, Jeff is going to be preaching God's Word for us. Many of you know Jeff and Amber Carlson. Uh, Jeff is a community group leader and has been for several, uh, for a little while now, at least over a year, two years or something like that. Uh, they've been members of this church for over three years. And uh, I didn't know Jeff and Amber when I went to the pastor's college, uh, but heard of them while I was there and had the joy of getting to know them as soon as I got back because they had uh, really thrown themselves and made themselves available to all kinds of different things going on in the church, ministry opportunities and things like that. Um, and Jeff is going to the Pastors College this fall, and we've announced that, and we're really thrilled about that. Several things have come together uh, that have allowed them the opportunity to go to the Pastors College, which again is is pretty intensive uh, training time. In fact, I think he already has his book list, and he's supposed to be reading like right now, getting ready uh, for that. So I remember that. That's that's, um, that's really cool. So it's exciting to. To see him getting to go, some things still need to come together. Um, so in the next couple of months, uh, as they're preparing, you can even ask them, "How can we pray for you? What specifically are, are you know are um, are concerns for you?" Um, and then just get to know them. If you haven't met Jeff and Amber yet, please get to know them. They are a fun couple. They are wonderful. They're a dear couple uh, in our church, and uh, and they're faithfully taking a step forward in in this process. And so we're just thrilled uh, with what God's doing in them and and has been doing with them in our church. I want you to know a couple things about Jeff. If you, if you don't know these things, if you've been around a while, you would. But Jeff has a, a servant leadership heart. Um, I would kind of describe that under the category of faithfulness, but you can put a lot of things under there uh, that describe Jeff. But when it comes to uh, leadership, it's a servant-hearted kind of leadership. It's a heart for others. So he's led Welcome Home, which is our new members class, um, first by serving in it and then leading it and then happily uh, handing off leadership to, to somebody else. Um, same with the greeting ministry, serving as a greeter, serving faithfully uh, in the small, and then leading the greeting ministry, and then happily um, letting somebody else come along and lead that. Same with community group, joyfully serving in the community group of um, at Martin uh, Bailey, led, for, led, still leading for years, um, that a lot of us have come out of. Um, but it's serving there and then and then leading another group and now another leaders coming alongside with that group. So and there's been other things like events and projects and all kinds of little small things and big things that we've thrown at Jeff and Amber and they've done such a great job. Um, but it's really reflected a heart of service. And I'd also say about Jeff is he's just got a kingdom mindset. And what I mean by that is just a desire to see other people come into their calling and to equip others and to see others come into ministries that he's either serving in or maybe leading. And so there's just a selflessness about Jeff. Uh, there's a desire to see other people serve, to see ministry expand. Um, that happens in the church, and we've seen that here, but that also happens outside the church. There's many men in this church that kind of... Um, are, are this are this way as it relates to business, just a desire to do things with excellence, a desire to take what they've been given and to expand it and to glorify God with it. And he's done that through his business and through his work. Uh, there's been a, a, a fruitfulness there and a, a reflection of the kingdom there as well. So 
um, those things you would know. And one thing you might not know is uh, Jeff's a lot of fun. And it's a really an expression of humility um, that he, he gives and receives a lot, of, a lot of fun with us and what we do with each other. So one thing that the guys um, make fun of Jeff about is his hair because uh, he puts product and stuff in his hair. Um, which, if you have hair, that's okay. You can probably do stuff like that. If you don't have hair, you have no room to talk whatsoever. Uh, and I don't have any hair, so I'd say, I'd say man, if I had hair, I'd, do, I, I'd put all kinds of product in that thing. Highlight it. Flow it, mohawk it, have fun with your hair. That's what I say. Young men, have fun with your hair because it's not going to be with you. For me, it was gone after like 17, 18. Uh, Jeff, he's, he has fun with his hair, and I just commend that. I love that about him. So, um, And we have a lot of fun with Jeff. So uh, Jeff is going to preach this morning. Can you guys just thank the Lord for Jeff Carlson? Well, uh, I guess I opened myself up to the hair comments. It was uh, rather uh, about a year after we were here, we uh, took the equipped class. And um, I think it was the first or second meeting of that. I walked in with uh, highlights, platinum highlights. And uh, not approved by the wife, uh, but platinum highlights nonetheless. And um, boy, did I, uh, I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, with the guys and uh, have not lived that down, though that was almost three years ago. And the only reason I don't have them anymore is because my wife won't let me. And uh, she would die if she heard me say that, but she's in North Carolina. So that's our little secret. Jeff wants highlights. All right. This isn't podcast, is it? (laughs) Great. So Rob, I don't, I don't, I had the first three words on here. Thank you, Rob, but I don't know that um, that applies. But uh, in all seriousness, thank you for your kind words. Um, also, thank the pastors, Rob, Pete, and Craig, for the opportunity to preach. Specifically, uh, Rob and Pete. Uh, I know that they love to preach, and as Craig's away, as he typically preaches, they love those opportunities. And so, to sacrifice that uh, to give me the opportunity, I um, I thank you for that. Um, also, thank Craig. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we met periodically to discuss this passage. And so to be able to ask him questions, glean from his insight has been helpful. So it might put you at ease a little bit. Um, you know, we could put a little asterisk on the bottom that this message has been approved by Craig Havaneth. Um, but I wouldn't go that far since he hasn't heard it yet. But uh, he has impacted it. So thankful for that. We, we are so excited to be going to Maryland to attend the pastor's college. We expect God to do so much in our lives, uh, in our marriage, as, as parents. Um, we covet your prayers uh, on behalf of Amber uh, and myself. We thank you for your words of encouragement. Over the last couple of months specifically, as this, we've been in this process, um, your words of encouragement um, have been evident. And, and, and even the well-meaning ones like, really, you guys? Um, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. There really wasn't those. But uh, we would know you really meant, wow, yeah, but we really thought someone else was going. But, yeah, but thank you for your encouragement. Um, you know, this has been a desire on my heart, uh, full-time ministry, for about 20 years. And so God has led us in this journey. This journey brought us here to this church. We've loved this church. And the journey takes us to Maryland for 10 months, and we're excited to come back and be part of the church. So we covet your prayers 
specifically in the next couple months, we cover your prayers on finding a renter for our home. Uh, we live in the Little Elm Colony, Tech, uh, Frisco area, and are looking for a renter. And so we just we we lift that up to the Lord. We know He will provide, and we're praying that He provides with a renter. So do keep us in prayers as you think of us. Another reason we're excited uh, about going. Another reason to be excited about going is Courtney Cabinets has decided to move with us um, for the ten months. So she will be heading out mid-August with us. Uh, do continue to pray for uh, her as she's looking for a job in that area. This is an exciting time for her to, to, to go be part of a church there and a job, but, but that's not why she's going. She reached out to Amber and had a heart to serve our family and to be a help to Amber. And so uh, we, uh, we took weeks and weeks to pray about it and to think about it. And uh, no, we said yes right away. So uh, uh, we know how Courtney serves here and we know you guys will miss her, but we are taking her. So uh, do pray for her. Well, it's a great opportunity to preach God's word this morning. John chapter 9. We're going to continue the series in John. John chapter 9. And John 9 is a, it's an amazing chapter. John records for us a story of Jesus taking a man who had never seen. A man who was blind. And that man received sight. And John records this, the sixth sign of seven, that really the purpose goes far beyond this man's physical healing. The purpose of the sign is to draw our attention to a greater purpose. See, though the the chapter starts with a heading that in, in my Bible says, Jesus heals a man born blind, really the focus of this chapter is the Jesus' power over blindness, both physical and spiritual. And the effect of Jesus' power over physical blindness did change this man's life for as long as he lived. Up to this point, he never saw. Imagine what that's like complete darkness, 24 hours a day. But to survive, what did he do? He had to sit along the street and beg. And so here, a man who's, who is a blind beggar forever, for, for the rest of his life, his life was changed because of what Christ was about to do in his, in his life. But you know, Jesus' power over spiritual blindness is much more powerful, and it's much more impactful. For the blind man's physical sight to come impacts his life for, what, another 40, 50 years? But when Jesus' power is shown and cures and heals spiritual blindness, those results, those impacts are for eternity. And so we, we hope to, and, and my prayer is that you, and we look in this chapter, that Jesus Christ will be proclaimed. That we will see Jesus Christ, we will see his power over darkness. And that we'll apply that to our lives. And we'll see, where are we needing the light of Christ as he will identify himself again in this chapter? Where do we need that light of Christ into our hearts? And how should we respond to that? Begin reading in in verse 1. This chapter is 41 verses. I don't know if you remember a few months ago, Craig was preaching a a chapter that had like 47 verses. And someone posted on the city, you know, know, one verse per minute. Well, that was me. And little did I know that two months later, he was giving me 41 verses. So, you know, I don't know that I can squeeze it all in, but uh, we'll we'll do the best that we can. So John chapter 9, verse 1. 
As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes, open the blindness of our heart, illumine our hearts, help us to see you for who you are, and help us to apply it to our lives. Give clarity of thought and of speech. Lord, may Jesus Christ be proclaimed, and may we walk out of here celebrating who Christ is and what he's done for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the first five verses here, Jesus kind of lays a foundation, somewhat of a theological foundation. He identifies the problem that will be answered in this passage, and then he provides the solution. And so so the story he gives us is that Jesus and his disciples were passing, walking along a path, and they came across a man who was blind and was begging. And his disciples wanted, wanted to get the inside scoop. See, the, the, the concept of the day, the theological concept of the day, was that physical suffering had a direct connection to particular sin. So that when someone was blind, there was a sin that was committed that connected to that blindness. And so the disciples said, hey, Lord, this guy's been blind from birth. Tell us, did he sin in the womb? Or was it his parents' sin that caused this blindness? Jesus responds not by dismissing that, that truth or not by dismissing that thinking that sin can cause physical suffering. He doesn't dismiss that. But he introduces a new idea. In fact, he introduces a greater idea, an idea that if we focus on and if we change our thinking and start, start thinking in this way, wow, the way we view circumstances will be life-changing. What does Jesus say? Verse 3, not him, not his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, Jesus ties physical suffering to redemptive purpose. In viewing circumstances, we, we ought to view circumstances in light of the gospel. That the work of God, the greater work of God, can and will be done as the result of physical suffering on this earth. So in our situations, as we look into our own life, as we look into our own physical suffering, as we look into our emotional suffering, our financial suffering, when we ask the question of, I don't have a job because... If our answer is not trying to... If we're not trying to find an answer of what I did... And, and why this is happening to me, and, and self in looking inside, but rather in looking and saying, God, what work is it that you're trying to accomplish? What redemptive purpose is at hand here? So a little theological nugget here, a foundation 
a way for the disciples to now look at this blind beggar? Look at view, view circumstances. View them in light of the gospel. God is going to use this man's blindness to further his work, and he's going to do that in your life and in my life. Our physical circumstances have eternal purposes. So after laying this foundation, Jesus shares with the disciples that they are part of this mission. Verse 4, we must work to be included in the mission of God. The disciples are included in the mission, and Jesus also communicates urgency. He gives the, uh, the analogy of daytime and nighttime. That work can be done at day, no work can be done at night. And this, is, this was a concept that was so clear to them in that day, in their culture, primarily an agricultural culture. W- work couldn't be done at night. They didn't have second shift. They didn't have third shift. I mean, outside of the shepherds, who kind of were 24 hours a day, work wasn't done at night. And so there was a, a, a definite period of time, not an indefinite period of time, a definite period of time where they could accomplish their work. And again, Jesus introduces another idea that's saying in the works of the Father, the eternal work of God, there's a time when the work's going to be over and work cannot be done. Night is coming. And so Jesus creates an urgency to his disciples to be doing the work of the Father. Finally, in this section, kind of the foundational, the theological foundation, which we view the rest of the chapter is, Jesus once again declares to be the light of the world. We saw this in chapter 8. And in declaring to be the light of the world, or in making the statement, I am the light of the world, Jesus really is saying two things. First, he is saying, I am the light. I am the light. I am the source. I am the way that blindness turns to sight. I am the way that darkness turns to light. So Jesus is identifying himself really as the only source of light. But secondly, he's identifying the world as to be dark. See, light is not needed without darkness, right? So saying that the world is dark causes us to stop and to think, what causes the darkness in the world? Why is the world dark? And we would all tie back to Adam's sin, creating this dark world, but yet we continue to add to that darkness with our sin. And for Jesus, so Jesus accurately announces the, that he is the light and that Jesus, that, that he is the light and that the world is dark. It's good to remember that the people of the world are blind and Jesus is the only source of light. Jesus is the only source of sight. So in this verse, Jesus claims to be the solution for the world's biggest need. Blindness. That's a sober reality, isn't it? That, that we, in, in our sin, we're, we're blind. We just can't see. We think we see many times, but we can't see. But thankfully, there is a greater message, a greater message of hope that's present, that Jesus gives us in his word, that because the light of Jesus, we can have sight. Really, this chapter is about Christ and his power over darkness. In verse 6 and 7, really the two verses that Jesus 
explains the or that John gives us about the healing, the physical healing Jesus gives to this blind man. And so John outlines how this happened. Jesus simply, simply, not in terms of it wasn't powerful, but the process was simple. Spat on the ground, picked it up, made some mud out of that, anointed his eyes, sent him off to the pool to wash. Guy obeyed, he came back and he saw. And that's the extent of the interaction. So Jesus here displays his power over physical healing. And while there's only two verses, and while this is a sign that points to the spiritual meaning, we can take encouragement here today that Jesus heals physical needs. He may not be here, and he may not spit on the ground, and he may not anoint your eyes, but Jesus heals. And again, in this, and in this passage, we see that this man didn't pursue Jesus Christ. We, we see that in other passages, right? Where, where lepers come to him, or where someone comes and says, hey, my daughter's sick, or my mother-in-law is sick, but no, Jesus came to him. See, Jesus pursued him to heal him for God's redemptive purpose. And God can heal you, God can pursue you, but you can also pursue God and seek and request and, and lay your heart out for physical healing, again, viewing the, your circumstances in light of the gospel. We should do that as we look at other people's physical needs and in God's healing of them, we should rejoice and proclaim Christ when we see that. In others. That should be our response. But what was the response of the crowd? What was the response of his neighbors? What was the response of the other people? And we find that in the next section of this passage. And so, verses 8 through 34, so it's a rather long passage, and I'm going to read the whole passage because it's helpful. One, it's the best thing you're going to hear today, but uh, being God's word as opposed to me, so we're not going to cut that out. But it's good to hear this passage in its entirety because you're going to see the confusion that arises. You're going to see the investigation that's happening, the testimony that is being given as these men respond to the physical healing. And there's really four groups that you're going to see in here. First, you're going to see the neighbors. In the first few verses, you're going to see the neighbors and how did they respond to, the, to this healing. Secondly, we're going to see the Pharisees. Third, we're going to see this man's parents. And then finally, we're going to look at the man's response. And when we talk about the response to the healing, this passage gives us two different things to look at. First question we need to look at is, how did they respond to the claim that this man was healed? How did they respond to the claim that this man was blind and can now see? And secondly, how do do they respond to the man's claim that Jesus Christ healed him? So follow along as I read, I'm going to read verse 8 through 34. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. So they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had had formerly been blind. 
Uh, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? since he has opened your eyes. And he said, he's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind, and the Jews were there as the Pharisees. They did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, This is the Pharisees talking. Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So in these 20... 26 verses, we see the response of four different groups of people or persons to the two questions of, is this man the recipient of life-changing sight? And if so, how did it happen? So what was the neighbor's response to that first question? Is this the man? Well, they disagreed. I mean, for, for years this man sat there and begged, but they disagreed. Some said yes. Some said no. But they seemed to overlook that disagreement, and they got right to question number two and asked the man, how did this happen to you? And this man's response, kind of a couple things in there, triggered the next action by these neighbors. See, in the man's answer to them, he stated two things that really got the attention of these neighbors and actually caused them to bring them to the Pharisees. The first thing was, is he mentioned the name Jesus. He said, that man, Jesus. And in that day, Pharisees did not like Jesus because of the claims Jesus was making. 
So the man identifies Jesus as the one who healed him, and then he tells him how he healed him. And in that story, the fact that Jesus spat on the ground and made mud out of the dirt actually caused him to break one of the 33 rules of things you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. Making mud, making clay. So I'm sure that wasn't coincidence Jesus picked that. But that caused these neighbors and those that were there with them to say, ah, we've got to take them to the Pharisees. This guy performed this miracle on the Sabbath. He's claiming Jesus did it. Pharisees will want to hear this. So he bring, they bring him to the Pharisees, and now let's look, what is the Pharisees' response to these two questions? How did they respond to the fact that this man claimed he was blind, now he sees? And number two, that Jesus is the one to, to do it. Well, in order of the passage, it really shows us the Pharisees primarily were concerned with question number two. Right? They, they really didn't care about question number one, according to priority of the passage. But the passage does show us that they didn't believe that he had been healed. They didn't believe he had been healed, but they still wanted to debate question number two. Could Jesus have healed this man? And again, there was disagreement. Some Pharisees said, no, this man can't be from God. Look, he sinned. He worked on the Sabbath. Some others said, well... Yeah, I understand the law, but how could a sinner do this? So we have disagreement there. And so in this disagreement, the Pharisees thought, who would know who could help us? Who's closest to this man? His parents. Probably still lived under their household, even though he was an older person because of his blindness. So they called his parents. They said, hey, parents, question one, is this your man? Is this your son? Was he blind? He now can see, is this claim correct? And their response was, yes, this is our son. And he was blind and now he sees. So the Pharisees quickly got to the second question and said, okay, now who did this and how did it happen? We got to know that the son told you. And the the parent's response, we don't know. Ask him. He's a big boy. He's of age. Ask him. Well, do we really think the parents don't know? Well, the passage tells us. The passage tells us that his parents said those things because they feared the Jews. They feared the Pharisees. The Pharisees had this this kind of intimidation tactic out there. Whether it actually happened or not, um, you could go dig in and study. But they claimed that they were going to kick you out of the synagogue, cast you out of the synagogue excommunicate you from the synagogue if you proclaim Jesus to be Christ. And that, that was more than just getting kicked out of church and not being able to go back to church. That, was, that impacted your life. That impacted society. So the fear of man, they said, ask him. We don't know. So his parents pushed it back onto the man. So the Pharisees were done with the parents. They bring the man back and they have more and more dialogue, wanting him to recount it again, probably trying to trip him up in his encounter and his claims, but none of that happened. And verse 34 gives us the results of these encounters, that the Pharisees cast him out of the synagogue. This was more of an informal casting out, kind of like, just get out of here. They didn't agree, nor did they agree to disagree. He's just out of frustration, kicked them out. 
and said, we're done with you. So, so that is the, the response of the Pharisees to the physical healing of this man. Not a surprising response, right? Not a surprising response. Lastly, let's look at the man himself. What was his response? How did he answer number one? He was pretty confident in that, right? He knew his blindness. He knew his condition. And he knew that he was delivered from it. And he responded first. He kept saying, I am. It's me. I, I can just, I, that, that picture of kept saying, I am. I mean, I just think of, of so many areas of life where, where that comes out. It's sitting with your child in a time of discipline and, and talking to them. And they're just saying, Daddy, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Or trying to get your point across in a, in a discussion with your spouse. Just passionately, continually making the claim, I am the man. To the Pharisees, he, he said it so really beautifully. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So there was no question with number one, but question number two was different. Question number two, the things that we the things that are given in this passage show kind of a, maybe a broadening, or at least our our view of him is broadening and is evolving. See, the first encounter when Jesus pursued him was simply for physical healing. Jesus didn't declare anything to him. Jesus didn't talk about faith to him. Jesus didn't identify himself to him. He healed him, and so we see in verse eleven to his neighbors. He refers to him as the man called Jesus. Verse 17, to the Pharisees, he called him a prophet. Probably the highest form of honor or position that he could give to him. Verse 25, he, he just made the claim, I, I don't know if he is a sinner. Verse 27, again, to the Pharisees, talks about the disciples and saying, you want to become his disciples? So, a man who is worthy to have disciples. So there's different pictures that are given that gives us a little insight to this man's, into this man's view of who Christ is. But as we enter into this final section of this passage, we really find out how this man views Jesus Christ and what his spiritual condition is. I'll start reading in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said... Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he? Sir, that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so the, the, way, that, the way that this blind man, formerly blind man, responds to Jesus' question about believing in the Son of Man reveals that his heart is still spiritually blind. See, all this testimony, all this investigation that was going on by the Pharisees, 
they were never going to get the right answer from the man because he was blind. He didn't know really who it was that healed him. His answers were logical. Prophets, they healed, they did miracles, okay, so it could be a prophet. Um, They had disciples. So there was thinking, there wasn't apathy, but there was blindness. And with blindness, there was no chance of sight. It doesn't allow him, and it doesn't allow us to see spiritual things. You can't give the right answer about Jesus when you are blind to the reality of who he is. Verse 37, that all changed for this man. Jesus declares himself to be the Son of Man to him. Jesus, for the first time, but it is the second time he pursued him, but for the first time, he identifies who he is. He is the light of the world. He is the Son of Man. He is the Christ the coming Messiah the Jews were looking for, the one that had come to take away the sins of the world, the one who we look back on, who who paid the price on the cross to allow us to be redeemed. Christ declares that to this man. And the light that was shown on that man opened his eyes and he responded with faith. That's an amazing moment, isn't it? That's a, that's a celebratory moment. When the light of Christ spiritually is cast upon our dark, sinful hearts, and we can see. Do you remember that when that happened in your life? We all have a different salvation experience. Some may not have that salvation experience. I was saved at a young age, and so I I don't remember that change of darkness and blindness and just that kind of like that aha moment or that lights went on. But recently I had the honor to experience that in a a life of a friend, of a coworker. This coworker, four or five years ago when I started working um, at at the current company, he, he was against God. Past experiences, past religion, burned them. Had nothing for God. He claimed to be an agnostic. But over the last couple of years, the Lord used the testimony of his believing wife, a man at our office who um, is involved in a good local church locally, sitting with him probably on a weekly basis, digging through the agnostic questions that this man had about the truth of this Bible, about creation, about the the flood, just week after week. My brother, who attends here as well, works with us, and he met with him frequently and discussed spiritual things. And then periodically, I would have the opportunity to travel with this man, and, and we'd talk when we were on, on business trips. But, but two months ago, uh, early April, I was headed to a business trip with this guy to uh, Half Moon Bay, south of San Francisco. And it was just the two of us. And unbeknownst to me, my coworker, who spent almost the weekly, you know, weekly investment in this man's life, just prayed, God, give Jeff an opportunity to clearly share God's word with him. My coworker, who had spent time with him, uh, the believer, was was tired. 
He just felt like he kind of hit the end of the road, that there wasn't anything else he could do. We were at dinner one evening, on the last evening that we were there, and we were just talking, and I, I don't remember how the conversation turned, but, but this unbelieving friend and coworker communicated clearly, clearly to me that same thing, that he was tired. That he felt for two years that he was fighting and fighting and trying to find answers. But he was getting nowhere in terms of his soul. Why? Because he was blind. And God just gave grace and God gave opportunity and freedom in speech, in my speech, to just be able to tell him and say, stop trying to get to the center through answering whether or not the flood happened to answering this and that question, just stop and consider at the center, who is God, who is Christ, and what is your condition? And we dialogued for probably 20 minutes um, on that and just, just, just sensed the freedom at that time. And we left, and the next morning we were heading to the airport, and he just made a quick comment thanking me, um, telling me he thought about it all, all evening and the rest of the evening. And that weekend I got a text from my buddy who spent time with him, periodically saying, hey, did you have a chance to talk to him on your trip? And I said, yes, I did. And the next week he came into my office and he said, hey, this guy claims that he had the experience. He didn't have much detail at that time, but um, as this guy came into my office who, um, who had that experience, he came in and he explained to me that the guilt that he had for 30 years, 25 years was just gone. Really didn't give me much else to talk about, kind of explain an experience, but didn't really, really give me a lot of like theological, like, yeah, you prayed that sinner's prayer. So, you know, my brother and, and Jim, the guy at the other church, and myself, and we all were talking and just saying, you know, Lord, we just would love to hear just a clear testimony of his conversion. And it wasn't two days later that he walked into my office and just in passing, relating a conversation where he had with his wife and said, yeah, I told her that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And to be part of a mission, of God's mission, where the light is shown upon a dark heart, where the light turns on and the result of that is repentance, where the result of that is faith and belief, is an amazing thing and should, should change our lives and should change the way we think not only of negative circumstances, but of all circumstances, of how do we get on mission with God's work? Who is it in our life that God wants us to proclaim Jesus Christ to so that he can turn the lights on? We rejoice. I mean, we're, we're just in the office. It's just we rejoice with his salvation. But yet, this passage gives us, and Jesus gives us, uh, the other insight of the other response. See, the summary of this whole passage really is that the Father sent the Son to pursue the blind that they may see and believe. Jesus Christ came so that you might see who he is and that you might believe and that you might worship him like this man did. But the Pharisees, and in verse 39 actually, Jesus says that for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, 
and those who see may become blind. And we don't have time to really exposit that, the meanings and the meanings of 40 and 41, of if you are blind, you would have no guilt, etc. But the Pharisees give us the illustration of it. The Pharisees already, now we're nine verses of John, are continually being presented with who Christ is and what's happening to their hearts. They're becoming more and more blind. See, on the physical, we, we can see that light can have different effects. If you head west on Lebanon, so I, I got this wrong in the first service. I think west is that way. Am I right? All right. West is that way. If you had west on Lebanon Road, just go out here, go Lebanon Road, and go west, kind of towards Lake uh, Louisville. Uh, if you go down that path about 8.30 at night when it's dark, the street lights on the side really help guide you. And they're, they're, you view their light as helpful, and you're thankful for it. But if you take that same path at 5 p.m. in the afternoon, 5.30, that sun's going down on that lake, and that blinding light is on where you can't look. I mean, you've, you've got to you know, put glasses on. I mean, it is bright. And so it is spiritually, that the light of Christ, as it is shown on our hearts, can result in two different reactions and responses. One of acceptance, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, for an unbeliever. One of repentance of sin for a believer, when God identifies through the light that there is something in our life that needs adjustment, and his grace is allowing that light to pierce into that? Or there's rejection where, like the Pharisees, you say, I see. I see. For an unbeliever, it's, I see. I'm, you know, the Pharisees were blinded by their, their traditions. They were blinded by their religion, maybe their prominence. They, they were blinded by their things. As unbelievers, we're blinded by our desires, right? We're blinded by our traditions, our religion, and same as believers. The scripture teaches us in 1 John that we're going to see him for really who he is at the end day. But in that time period, we're growing spiritually. And in that process of sanctification, the light of Christ is being shown on our hearts. And we can respond in faith or our hearts can become harder and darker, and blinded? Many times we read about the Pharisees and we don't relate to them. We kind of view them as like those people in the day. Like, how in the world did they exist? But I think it serves us well to consider our hearts in light of the Pharisees' heart. But for the unbelievers here or the ones who wouldn't identify with Christ, there just hasn't been anything in your life where, where today you're saying, I am a follower of Christ. I trust in him as my Lord and Savior. Let me just tell you that God's grace is evident and that he is pursuing you because you are here. And Jesus Christ is being, being his light is being shown on you and on your heart. And you have an opportunity today to respond in faith and in trust to God. To declare to God that I am blind. I don't see. I am blind, but your light as it's shining on me sees my need, allows me to see my need because I see Christ for who he really is. And I repent of my sins and I trust on his finished work on the cross. 
Respond that way. Don't don't be like the Pharisees and allow your heart to get harder and harder and harder. Allow that light to not blind, but to shine. And for believers here, there's... I think there's a call for us to celebrate the conversion light that Jesus shone on us. That there was a moment, a distinct moment, when you went from blind to see, from blind to sight, from darkness to light. And we should praise God, we should proclaim our story so that others, being on mission with God, God with Christ as he calls us to earlier in this passage we should proclaim that story to others we should view circumstances in light of God's mission to proclaim the light and I think lastly though not stated in the text because the text is dealing with an unbeliever We're called to respond to the continual light shining in your heart through repentance. You know, daily, God is faithful to shine his light into our hearts to show us areas where we need adjustment, areas where we need to repent, areas we need to change. Jesus is pursuing you. You know, his pursuit of you didn't stop at the point that he declared himself to you and you trusted in him. Jesus is pursuing you continually and regularly. And we rejoice in that. On our own, we're, we're lost. We're dark. We're going to get blinded. But because of Christ pursuing you, pursuing you in the times that we're prone to wander, in the times that we're leaving the God we love, Jesus is pursuing you. Respond in repentance. Don't allow faith. Don't allow the response of rejection and of of hardening your heart to that particular area that the Spirit is is pointing in on. Craig read for us at the beginning of the series, John chapter twenty, and I want to draw our attention to that verse, John twenty thirty one, to remind us that these things are written. This story, the story about this blind beggar healed, the story about. Jesus' power over darkness and over blindness is written. That you believe. That's the purpose. That's why you're here. That's why, that's why John wrote it, is that you may believe, that you may become followers of Christ, and that believing you may have life. Life in his name. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.